Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. People don't always realize that physical symptoms like headaches, teeth grinding, and even digestive issues can be indicators of stress. And let's not forget about doom scrolling, sleeping too little, sleeping too much, under eating, and overeating. Okay, so the copy here says to talk about my experience with stress. Oh boy, do you have an hour? Uh, where do I begin? Work, bills, life, family. I could go podcast. on for a very, yeah, a podcast, a very long time. And I actually do though in therapy, which is so helpful for me so I can manage, deal, and get through it. Stress shows up in all kinds of ways and in a world that's telling you to do more, sleep less, and grind all the time. Here's your reminder to take care of yourself, do less, and maybe try some therapy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color. Listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash fruit. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash fruit. All right, guys, it's it's time for me to come clean. It's okay. it's time for me to tell the truth. Right. It's time for me to spill the beans. Okay. It's time <laughs> to fess up. It's time to keep it a buck. Keep it 100. Are you going to get to it? Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. So sometimes after dark, I sneak away and play Best Fiends. Others may wonder about my mysterious disappearances. They say, who does she think she is? David Blaine? David Copperfield? I say none of the above. In fact, I'm having so much fun playing Best Fiends. Ever heard? of it? Why, yes, I have. <laughs> I love Best Fiends. I love collecting the little monsters when you play so I can level up my fiends. Also, I love going in for the super long matches to free up the board and beat levels. Ooh. I am happy to report that I am on level 440. That's amazing. <laughs> okay, friend, I see you flexing over there. <laughs> now, Best Fiends is a free-to-download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting new levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. I am on level 304. Beth, tell them about the offline play. Yes, of course. (laughs) There is offline play, so you don't even need Wi-Fi or the internet. Oh, good. So download your new favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised.
everybody, and welcome to Fruit Loops Season 3, Episode 27. Thank you so much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight white dudes. Get out of town. No. Wait, that's the first there, time I'm hearing this. <laughs> there are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist. Allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294, and we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com, and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. Join the discussion by using the hashtag Fruit Loops Pod Discussion or joining our Facebook group. All of the footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. That's right. And if you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App. Or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. We also have some merch for sale on our website. Don't think I haven't forgot that my mom needs to buy a mug because she still has it. But if you can't help monetarily, no problem. You can always give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And this is the most important part. Please be sure to share our show with your friends. Yeah. So, um. Who are we talking about today? Today we're talking about Donetta Hill, a black woman from Pennsylvania who was convicted of killing two men. And we are delighted. I don't know if you've heard a third voice in the background. <laughs> we have a very, very special guest with us today. Minnie is here and, well, uh, she is with Beth at the moment in Canada. And uh, Minnie helped us with the research for this episode. And we are just really, really delighted to have her with us. With us. So, yeah. Minnie, welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm in Edmonton. As you mentioned, I'm in Canada visiting my sister, Minnie, and my brother-in-law. And today's episode is extra special because we are recording with Minnie. Ooh. And Minnie, how you doing? I am also doing great because my amazing sister, Beth, is visiting me. Uh, my hubby and I had originally planned to visit Beth at this time and get away from the uh, freezing cold winter. Mm -hmm. uh, but my hubby had a bit of a health incident, uh, so we couldn't travel. Um, and Beth was kind enough or possibly crazy enough, <laughs> crazy enough. <laughs> to come visit us in winter in Canada. So I am so happy to have her here. Um, I'm also so honored to be a guest on the podcast this week, and I hope I will be able to contribute something useful, though I am not anywhere near as knowledgeable as you two are on the subjects. Um, and here's a fun fact for you. Um, Beth actually got me into true crime way back when, when I was a, a teenager, uh, by lending me the book Helter Skelter, which was all about the uh, Manson uh, family craziness. Well, we over here at Fruit Loops Pod Squad know all about Beth and her love of that book. And so uh, that is it fantastic. It is a pretty good book. Yeah. <laughs> I will Vince not be Bugliosi. reading it, but I believe you. <laughs> 
Um, well, that's awesome. I, you know what, uh, Minnie? I'm just going to give you a hip hop air horn here. Yeah. Aww, my <laughs> first hip hop air horn. <laughs> that is for you, Minnie. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. That was awesome. Look at you two having grown sister time. I love it. Uh, and again, we're just glad that you're here. Uh, I would love to be there with you guys, but I don't do well in cold, in cold climates. Yeah. Um, but this is just going to be a lot of fun. I know it. Um, so now we're going to dive into some listener letters. And because we didn't want the episode to run too long. We don't have too many. Actually, we just have one this week. But here we go. Hello, angels. Hello. They are so much more beautiful than I thought they were going to be. <laughs> Aren't they lovely? Yes. Oh, look, and they delivered a a bag. Well, let's see what we got inside. We got a lovely post in our Facebook discussion group from Marjorie L. And she said the following. I absolutely love you guys. May I please get some extra hip hop air horns? And the answer is absolutely yes. (laughs) Thanks to everybody out there listening, everybody who's out there supporting the show. We can't do this without you. We love you and we appreciate you. So now we are going to take a quick break and then we're going to dive into the story when we come back splash splash except you guys are in canada so i don't recommend it yeah i think it'll be more of a thunk than a splash. <laughs> hey true crime listeners check out our podcast i said god damn we're a true crime comedy podcast hosted by two besties who like to share messed up cases that make you say god damn Every Sunday, we try to one-up each other's story by sharing a horrific case the other has never heard of. Along the way, we splash in some wildly inappropriate jokes and colorful language. Listen every Sunday from any of your favorite podcast directories. Also, follow us on Twitter at ISGDpodcast or visit our website, isgdpodcast.com. And we're back! Uh, so, uh, who are we talking about again today, y'all? Today we're talking about Donetta Hill, a black woman and a sex worker convicted of killing two men in South Philadelphia. All right, let's get into it. This is my favorite part of the story. I love the stats. <laughs> All right. Donetta Hill was a black woman from Pennsylvania. She had two male victims. Her murders took place on June of 1980 and March of 1991. She was born on September 23rd, 19... I don't think I have that date right. Hang on a yeah. second. 96? I think it's 66, but... Yeah, um, it's gotta I, be, because she was killing people and... <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's just she go was killing six- people before <laughs> she was born. It's amazing. Time uh, traveling <laughs> serial murder of color. Uh, so uh, she was born on September 23rd, 1966. So she is a Libra. Take that and do what you want with it. I think the last guy we covered was a, a Libra. So maybe steer clear of them. I don't know. Steer clear of the Libra. <laughs> uh, her victims were, let's speak their names, rest in power, Gia Guy Liu, who was 72, and Nairobi DuPont, who was 21. Her MO was beating with a claw hammer, which I didn't know anything about. I thought it was um, 
like a special hammer, but turns out it's just a regular hammer with a claw. Yeah, regular old hammer. <laughs> the claw is the part that you pull out the nail with. Right, right. It just sounds really nasty, claw. It does. It kind of does, does, yeah. Yeah, makes for an interesting story. And we learned so many new things on the show. And her crimes <laughs> took place, as Beth said, in Philly Penn. So now we're going to dive into the setting. Take us there, Beth. Well, this story took place in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, which was a stop on the Great Migration Tour. Philadelphia has a long history, so we won't get into everything. But before it was colonized, it was home to the Lenape, who were Native American peoples that inhabited the northeastern woodlands of Canada. Canada! (laughs) Hey, where where is Edmonton? Is it northeast or northwest? Oh, Edmonton. Yeah, no, we are um, pretty much straight north of Arizona. Um, You know what's funny? Uh, I noticed this um, after I moved here. And, I, you you know, in in the U.S., you look at your your state a lot because you see the shape represented Mm -hmm. everywhere. I noticed that that the province of Alberta, which is directly north of Arizona, has the same shape as Arizona, only it's elongated. Oh, wow. Get out of here. Yeah. And if you look at California, which is is straight south from British Columbia, mm-hmm. the province that's to the west of uh, Alberta. It also has the same shape as California, only oh, elongated. So, yeah, door. kind of interesting. <laughs> wow, yeah. that is yeah. neat. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah, that. so we're still in the west over here, the kind of the wild west of, of Canada. It's actually the Texas of Canada. It Shut is up. the Texas. Yeah, <laughs> the oil patches here. So, there's a lot of people that um, earn their living. Um, on the oil patch. Uh, So a lot of the kind of attitudes of staying, I guess, independent or Mm -hmm. whatever. People like guns here. Rodeos. Um, Yeah, rodeos. No way. Um, Yeah, yeah. I had no idea that was a thing in Canada. Yeah, it is. It's not just Drake and snow. (laughs) (laughs) And and moose. Moose, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The area that in the northeastern woodlands of Canada, that's way over on the on the other side from where we currently are, Beth and I, right now. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Sorry to cut you off, This has been Canada Corner with uh, (laughs) with Mooney. (laughs) Canada Corner. That just sounds so cute. (laughs) Don't edit that out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so in Pennsylvania, there was slavery, um, but it was abolished in 1780. And uh, South Philadelphia, where uh, Donetta Hill grew up, uh, takes up about 10 square miles. Miles. Um, South Philadelphia began as a satellite town of Philadelphia. And then toward the end of the Industrial Revolution, the area blew up, not literally, but you know, um, <laughs> population wise, um, attracting immigrants from Italy, Ireland, Poland, and many Southern and Eastern European countries, as well as Black Americans. And Black Americans have lived in South Philadelphia since its founding by colonizers. And the city of Philadelphia proper was home to a significant population of freed and fugitive enslaved people since the 18th century. But most Black people arrived in South Philadelphia during the Great Migration, and Donetta Hill was a Great Migration baby, so her parents were probably... We don't know for sure, but I suspect they have been part of the 
um, Great Migration. New residents of South Philadelphia were attracted by industrial jobs. They then created communities that continued many of their old world traditions. And each of the neighborhoods in South Philadelphia reflected their ethnic and national traditions. Unfortunately, despite the dramatic growth in population, because of the low funding of education by the city and probably racism and xenophobia, Hmm. uh, the first public high school in South Philadelphia was not formed until 1934. That's nuts. Um, That is a long time with no schooling. Um, So uh, here's a little bit of history for you. Have you guys ever heard of the MOVE movement? I have, but I don't know a lot about it. Yeah, I hadn't really heard much about it at all. Oh, okay. Well, there's a really great documentary on Netflix about it. It's called uh, Let It Burn. And we've shouted it out before on the show, but every time I hear Philadelphia, this is this is the story I think of. So the, you think the of? Move movement yeah. was a black liberation group that was sort of a thorn in the Philadelphia police's side. And when the police just couldn't take it anymore, they bombed the shit out of their entire building, killing all of the women and children inside. And there was only one little survivor who was a little black boy. Anyway, oh my God. and that was the police doing this. That was the police doing that. And that happened in the Bonkers. late 60s early 70s. Oh my god. Yeah. But we'll terrible. find later the Philadelphia Police Department is uh, prone to fuckery. Problematic. <laughs> yeah. So during the mid 20th century, there was a dramatic loss in industrial jobs in Philadelphia, leading to population losses in South Philadelphia, as well as other working class parts of the city. Today, many of Philadelphia's communities are largely Italian American, consisting of both older and more recent Italian immigrants and Italian speakers and Italian saints festivals and cultural celebrations. Hmm. But South Philadelphia also continues to be home to many ethnic Irish American communities and black communities. The neighborhood of Point Breeze is largely black and is often considered the center of South Philadelphia's black communities. The Odunde Festival, uh, the largest street festival in Philadelphia, is an African-American celebration that is held annually in South Philadelphia. Ooh, I'm sensing we should do a live show there someday. (laughs) During the festival. What's that? Yes, during the festival. That's right, yeah. Uh, So South Philadelphia has been growing more diverse for decades, but the last 20 years have been the greatest influx of Asian and Latinx families. Today, many vendors that work alongside the Italian-Americans at the Italian market are of Asian and Mexican or Central American descent. Vietnamese, Thai, Mexican, and Central American restaurants also are interspersed with historic Italian restaurants in the market area. That sounds cool. Yeah, it does. It sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, lots of good food. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. I bet the food is amazing. Yeah. It's not just cheesesteaks. No. <laughs> Boring ass cheese steaks. <laughs> Sorry, Philadelphia. <laughs> the cheese steaks are actually pretty good. Oh. Have you guys been? I know you guys did a lot of traveling. Yeah, we have, but when we were younger. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, we've been to so many places, but a lot of them, it's just kind of a big blur because we were kids and we weren't paying attention, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't give a shit that much. (laughs) I I just, I do remember having a Philadelphia cheesesteak at some point in my life and liking it, but I couldn't tell you. (laughs) When or where. Yes, or if it was actually in Philadelphia. I don't know. Okay. But we, we did go to Philadelphia at one point when we were kids, yeah. Okay. I remember seeing the Liberty Bell. Oh, that's 
that's great. Yeah, which it was kind of, I don't know, it was weird. It's so big. <laughs> that's the one with the big really crack big. in it? Yeah. yeah. Mm. Oh. And the okay. crack that it has like giant bolts. Yeah, pins in it kind of holding it together, I yeah. guess. Hmm. Yeah, I think they mm-hmm. they welded the pins in the crack. Yeah, to, to keep it, it for from cracking further. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh. And it, it's just really different from what you or it was different from what I expected to see. Uh, not that it was like a disappointment or anything. It was just different. It was just it was actually kind of amazing because it's so large. It is. Oh. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Oh. Oh, cool. All right. But Liberty Bell always makes me think of the TV show Glow. The wrestling show? Yeah. One oh. of the characters, her name is Liberty Bell. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's supposed to be like the uh, patriotic American, you know, blonde haired, blue eyed woman, oh. you know. Oh. Yeah, there's a lot of terrible stereotypes. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably why the show's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, in South Philadelphia, the majority of the current Black American population is descended from Southern migrants that moved into the city in high numbers during the Great Migration in the early 20th century. And in 1990, the population of Philadelphia was approximately 1.5 million. And as of the last census, South Philadelphia was made up of approximately 50% whites, 25% blacks, 12% Asians, 8% Latinx, the rest being categorized as mixed or other. All right. So that's it for the setting. And now we're going to dive into the killer's early life. So we couldn't find a lot about Donetta's early life, unfortunately. We do know that Donetta Hill grew up and attended school in South Philly. According to court records, she had multiple psychiatric and psychological referrals from the Departments of Human Services and Child Protective Services. And as an adult, Hill often stayed at her mother's home. She had two children and was on public assistance or welfare. She was addicted to crack and later admitted to cocaine use during pregnancy. Hill was charged with two counts of robbery to which she pleaded guilty in exchange for a plea deal. And she was on intensive supervision probation. Um, Mm. Intensive. Yeah. Not just regular probation, (laughs) but intensive supervision probation house arrest uh, when the murders occurred. So not good timing on her part. No, not at all. So now we're going to dive into the get ready for your starring role in a thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes, danger and romance. That's right. It's June's Journey and you play June Parker, an amateur detective investigating a series of mysteries. Ooh, you'll put your powers of observation to the test. Sharpen your sleuthing skills, find objects and claim rewards. The visuals are fire. It's like a party for your eyeballs. (laughs) As you play this thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes with danger and romance in full force. Whether you're craving a good mystery or just need to get away for a while, June's Journey is the perfect game for you. It really is a sweet escape. I like to play when I need a mental pick-me-up. There is a detective in all of us. Find your inner detective. Download June's Journey free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. 
the timeline. So on June 28th of 1990, 72-year-old Najia Kui Lu, sorry for pronouncing that wrong, uh, propositioned Donetta Hill to have sex with him for money. The two went to the basement of Mr. Lu's home at 1931 South 8th Street in Philadelphia and had sex. Lou was five feet, six inches tall and weighed 126 pounds. So he was a little guy. Yeah. Hill stood five feet, five inches and weighed 160 pounds. So a little bit bigger than him. Mm -hmm. Uh, After engaging in sex, Hill grabbed a hammer and (laughs) struck Lou in the back of the head several times. Well, yeah. And one of the articles um, I I was reading what happened and it phrased it as as she had hit him over the head with a hammer. And I'm thinking, how would that kill him? Uh, But what they actually meant was that, the uh, you know, she hit him in the head with the claw part of the hammer. Yeah. Yes. Ow. Ouch. My jaw is yeah. on the floor. <laughs> yeah. So it's like murder with a pickaxe, kind oh. of. Yeah. yeah. Yikes. It's awful. Um, so, yeah. So the poor guy, um, he collapsed and died from his injuries, um, not surprisingly. Um, and then Hill uh, then ransacked the house, t- uh, took several items, including a Longines watch, uh, two gold rings with Chinese inscriptions, and a pair of gold-rimmed eyeglasses. Now, I don't know anything about nice things, so I had to Google what a Longines watch was. Yeah, I wasn't sure what that was either. <laughs> it's one of those fancy sweet. Swiss, Swiss army knives that rich people wear, but not knives, Swiss, those Swiss watches. <laughs> and it's fancy. also a watch. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine if she had used the knife? But uh, no, Longines Longines watch. She killed him with a Longines watch and stabbed him in the head with the part that you usually use to open yeah. a wine bottle. <laughs> So we're learning so many things on this episode. It's terrible. It's not Uh, funny, but, you know. (laughs) Uh, Later that day, Lou's son and daughter-in-law returned home and found Lou's body lying in a pool of blood on the basement floor with his pants pulled down to his knees. There was a large burn wound on Lou's chest, and one of the articles mentioned that it appeared to be like a burn from a tea kettle within his house. A blood-stained hammer was found lying near the body. So I was thinking, I'll talk about this later, but I was like, I, it's weird that she like had sex with these dudes and um, there was always a hammer around. Yeah, so that's what I, I thought too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so romantic. But maybe he, he was like, oh, I'll go get us some tea. And, that's exactly or, what I was thinking. I was thinking. It was there. Yeah, yeah, I think he had like a basement apartment or something is what I'm imagining. Um, uh-huh. In because that's actually what I was trying to figure out is where he was living. Like said, he was in the basement, and I'm thinking maybe he was making tea for himself. Like they were finished, and he was making tea, and then she attacked him, and he fell into the tea kettle. Maybe. Yeah, I guess we'll never know. We will unless never she know. does a Dateline interview. Ooh, yeah. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so Hill brought the items that she stole from Lou to the home of her friend, Melinda Williford. She asked Williford to sell the watch and gold rings at a neighborhood jewelry store. And Williford sold one of the gold rings to the jeweler for $25 and then split the proceeds with Hill. In January 1991, there were two occasions when Hill did not report to her probation officer. And she tested positive for drugs in one of the urinalysis tests that she was required to do as a condition of her probation. In early March of 1991, 21-year-old Nairobi Dupont
DuPont offered money to Hill to have sex with him in his father's house. DuPont, who was mentally slow, stood four feet, 11 inches tall and weighed 85 pounds. Yeah. Wow. Little. Yeah. The DuPont home was located less than four blocks from the site of the Lou murder. Hill entered the home and had sex with Nairobi DuPont. Afterwards, she she grabbed a hammer (laughs) and struck DuPont repeatedly in the back of the head. With the claw. As you do. (laughs) Yes, with the claw. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. As DuPont lay dead or dying on the floor, Hill again ransacked the house, took several items, um, including two video cassette recorders, a number of video cassettes, and a television remote control. Uh, I guess because it's portable and maybe you can sell it. I don't know if it was a universal remote, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, or she, or it was a souvenir. I don't know. Um, And then she uh, fled the scene. Mm. On uh, March 9th, 1991, Nairobi DuPont's father returned from a two week vacation and found his house in disarray. And he discovered the body of his son on the kitchen floor. That'd be terrible. Oh, yeah. The police arrived shortly thereafter and recovered a bloodstained hammer near Nairobi DuPont's body. They also recovered from the crime scene a red pocketbook, which contained an identification card issued by the Department of Public Assistance belonging to Donetta Hill. Not well, episode's over. I figured it out. I, I enjoyed that. When I was uh, when I was reading the articles on 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 this one, and and it came to the part when you were talking about recovering the the red pocketbook with the ID, ID card, and mm-hmm. it was there for two weeks. Like she oh. didn't realize that. Oh, she right. didn't have her bag anymore, and Good she had point. to have you know remembered where she was, or I don't know, maybe she, I don't know, she I don't might know. Not have remembered that she left it at the guy's house that she killed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's just like, where did I leave that thing? I mean, nothing significant has happened lately. <laughs> I, don't know where I know. I and be. what if she needed her benefits? Right? You know? Oh yeah. I know. You gotta have, yeah. yeah. I gotta have the car. Crazy. Get well, or maybe she was afraid to go back or something. But, but yeah, I yeah. bet she probably was afraid to go back, yeah. or you know. Oh, she was doing drugs, so maybe she didn't remember that she left it there. Possibly, yeah. Crack but is a hell of a drug. It really <laughs> is. It really is. Um, but, you know, while she was there, she went ahead and took uh, two vid- video cassette recorders. Um, so she took those um, that she stole from the DuPont residence uh, to the home of an acquaintance who gave her $20 and four vials of crack. I have no idea how much that's worth. <laughs> yeah, me uh, <laughs> Like, <laughs> how, about, how about all crack? How about, I don't know, <laughs> like $20 I... and four vials of crack, please. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I could barter system. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, I couldn't so, tell you. Yes, that's I what she got for her off. trouble. Yeah. 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 Um so Hill returned to the same place sometime afterwards with a bag of video cassettes stolen from the DuPont home and a guy gave her two more vials of crack cocaine. Yeah, and the other thing I was thinking about was like bags of video cassettes. Like how valuable were v- video cassettes back then? Like I can't remember. If you wanted if you wanted to get Beauty and the Beast on VHS, it was like $20. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. So Yeah, I wonder what kind of video because was it empty video cassettes yeah. were they movies yeah. like it doesn't it doesn't say yeah i don't know it's maybe it's kinda... it was porn 
knows? (laughs) But according to court records, Hill's mother called her probation officer in April and told him that she had not seen Donetta at all between February and April of 1991. And she had no idea where Donetta was or who was going to take care of her kids. So she was on this intensive probation, whatever. And uh, she had done a few things that probably should have got her put in jail, but uh, nothing, nothing happened. Yeah. And, and when I say crack is a hell of a drug, like I, I am not kidding. Oh, no, um, no. And people can sometimes end up uh, just like on a, like an alcohol bender, you know, you, um, you're not in your right mind and you, um, people say that they don't hear from their, from their loved ones for weeks or months. And, um, that's probably what, I mean, what sounds like what happened in this case, like she was just so far gone um, on substances that she may not even have realized, "Uh oh, I have kids. Uh oh. I need to check in with somebody. Yeah, I haven't been home in in two months. Yeah, Yeah, she might not have uh, even been really aware of how many days were going by or, you know, like maybe, oh, well, it's only a couple days and it's actually a couple of weeks or something. Right, right. Um, So now we're going to get into the investigation and the arrest. Take it away, Minnie. Okay. Uh, Well, after Hill learned that police wanted to question her, uh, she went to the office of her probation officer. And then accompanied by her probation officer and another member of his office, Hill went to the homicide division of the Philadelphia Police Department. Uh Oh, well, there Hill was taken to an interview room and Mirandized. She eventually confessed to the murder of Nairobi DuPont and signed a written statement to that effect. Hill was then questioned about the murder of Ngai Kai Lu. Hill told the detectives questioning her that she was present when Lu was murdered, but that her friend, Bruce Baldwin, <laughs> one of the Baldwin, one of the Baldwin brothers, yeah, had committed the killing. You guys aren't going to believe this. I, so I did kill the first guy, but the second guy, yeah, listen, it was the Baldwin guy. Yeah, what had totally happened was, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if it was phrased exactly like that. (laughs) (laughs) We'll never know. (laughs) Well, um, so yeah, she tried her best to pin it on somebody else. Um, At the conclusion of the interview, uh, the detectives faxed Hill's statement to the district attorney's office, where the decision was made to hold Hill and charge her with the murder of Nairobi DuPont. Four days later, while still in custody, Hill confessed to the killing of Lou and later signed a written statement attesting to that fact. An antagonistic verbal exchange between police and Hill ended when she told one of the detectives to F his mother in the mouth. I don't doubt that she said that, but I wonder what they said to her. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm sure, sure she said they said some pretty nasty things. Yeah. Yeah. So now we're going to get into the trial of Miss Dunetta Hill. So what do you got, Beth? Because the two murders were so similar, the trial court consolidated the cases into a single trial. At trial, the prosecution introduced Hill's confessions, testimony that she had fenced stolen goods that had belonged to the victims, and testimony from Detective Augustine that he found an identification card belonging to Hill at the scene of the DuPont murder. 
However, the police could not produce the identification card or any property receipt referencing it, stating that the card had been lost. No fingerprints, fibers, or strands of hair were recovered linking Hill to the crimes, and no DNA evidence was presented against her. Just when you think she's going to get away at trial, (laughs) Melinda Williford, a longtime friend of Hill's, testified that Hill had given her a pair of gold-framed glasses, a watch, and two gold rings to sell to a local jeweler. Han Lu, the son of murder victim Nia Kui Lu, testified that items of the same description belonging to his father were missing when he discovered his father's body. Hill's lawyer called her to the witness stand, which uh, is always a uh, not Not a a good good idea. idea. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She testified that Detective Augustine was verbally abusive during the interview with her, though she admitted that she answered his profane shouting with profane shouting of her own, saying, quote, I gave what he dished out, unquote. She also testified on cross-examination about her previous prison sentences, her unemployment, her abuse of alcohol and crack cocaine while pregnant, and her receipt and misuse of welfare and Social Security benefits. Her counsel did not object to these lines of questioning, so that makes him useless. Not good. He also did not introduce any evidence to buttress Miss Hill's testimony that she was innocent and that her confessions were false. And on Monday, April April 6th, 1992. Ooh, this is kind of the same time frame as the LA riots. Oh, wow. Hill was found guilty of robbery and double murder, and she was sentenced to death. At that time, she was the first female in 50 years to be sentenced to death in Pennsylvania. As guards led her from the courtroom after the verdict, she spit on the jury forewoman. Oh, me, oh, my. That probably didn't help. No, (laughs) probably not. (laughs) So I have a little bit of an aside on women in the the death penalty. Um, I was actually trying to find out more about the victims. And in the process of doing that, I came across a really interesting book. Uh, It was written by David Baker, uh, published in 2016, uh, called Women and Capital Punishment in the United States, an Analytical History. And it's quite a comprehensive book of 404. 40 pages. Um, I did not read the whole thing. Um, I barely read any of it, but I read the introductory stuff and it looks really interesting. I actually really want to read the whole book eventually, Um, but explores the reasons why women do not receive the death penalty in America as uh, often as men do for the same crimes. Um, Hmm. So there are a few different theories um, and I'm going to take a science minute here. Um, So the scientific use of the word theory, um, when we use the word theory Colloquially, we tend to use it in a way t- uh, to reference something that's unsure. So, like mm-hmm. you might say, "Oh, I have a theory uh, that the moon's made of cheese," or something like that. You know, and, and it's usually like um, crackpot theories, things like that. Now, um, mm-hmm. when we use this word in su- the scientific sense for research, a theory is actually something that develops after enough research has been done and enough discussion has been done that the scientific community widely accepts this as the best explanation for something. Um, so mm. so these ideas that are uh, in place uh, to address the, the women in the death penalty are, are widely held beliefs. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, David Baker kind of debunks them in the book that he's written. One of the theories that he puts forth, um, well, one of the theories that he discusses that he debunks is called the chivalry theory, uh, mm-hmm. in which the thinking 
thinking is that women in the United States are not usually given the death penalty because they are considered weak, passive, and needing male protection. Um, And they only commit crimes because of circumstances beyond their control. So they should be excused in a way and given more lenient sentences. Um, Mm. But, um, so this is a a theory that that is held. Um, But David Baker points out that this really only applies to the upper classes uh, because lower socioeconomic classed women, which are mainly non-whites and non-hetero women, are not really held in this regard in American society. Um, Mm. So they're not considered weak and passive and needing male protection. So this theory breaks down when you try to apply it to non-upper class women. Uh, So non-white, non-hetero women aren't really viewed um, in, in this is terrible. Well, I don't know if it's terrible or not, but anyway, um, (laughs) because I don't know if any of us should be considered weak, passive and needing male protection. Um, But, you know, non-white, non-hetero women are not viewed in American society as being, yeah, uh, they're not viewed the same. They're not viewed as being feminine enough for chivalrous treatment, which, um, yeah. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife, Maggie, and son, Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. So, um, and then a second theory that he debunks is the evil woman theory, um, which Mm -hmm. argues that women only receive the death penalty in the United States when their crimes violate the concept of good womanliness, uh, when they're, when they're unladylike. So, um, when their crimes, uh, cross that boundary, like killing children, or Mm -hmm. if a woman gets sexual gratification out of her crimes, you know, that, that point, um, she is not uh, a real woman. She's fallen from grace. She's viewed as evil and deserving of death because she's really betrayed her inherent good womanliness, you know, (laughs) Uh, and it it, it sparks anger because um, it's just, oh, well, I thought you were a goddess and now you've done this horrible thing. You must die. You know, that kind of thing. Shame. 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 Exactly. Game of Thrones. Shame. 
<laughs> but now that might make you think, well, then how come women aren't getting the death penalty more? Well, because these types of crimes committed by women are actually less frequent than it actually mm. in the end lowers the frequency of death sentences for women. Um, mm. But once again, David Baker points out this breakdown, uh, this, this theory breaks down in reference to uh, marginalized women, uh, because in American society, again, they aren't considered ladylike in the first place, or are already assumed not to be real women, um, and in some cases are viewed as strictly animalistic and by nature promiscuous. Um, oh. So he mentions that, for example, historically, and this is terrible, um, the rape of a Native American woman was not even considered to be a crime in the U.S. Um, you know, almost like, you know, well, they they want it anyway. So, you know, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible. Right. And or they're not human. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like they're not really. They're animals. Yeah. Yeah, like mm-hmm. they're animals. Um, and so, and he points out that to this day, uh, Mexican and Native American women are still the predominant victims of sex trafficking in the United States. And so when you think of it this way, then, you know, the if, if, if uh, they're already being considered this way, there isn't a fall from grace. And so there isn't that anger of the betrayal of the, you know, womanliness Womanhood. or whatever. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the evil woman theory, uh, again, falls apart. Um, wow, so, this David Baker. Is speaking facts. I mean, we've talked about this on the show, Mm -hmm. but I've never actually done any research. It's all been from my experience. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, (laughs) Yeah. it's just from thinking, hmm, this makes sense, right? Yeah, Yeah. and then reading a a lot of things. But yeah, he he goes like um, into uh, lots and lots of different case studies and things like that. And and so it's a really, really long book. Uh, So again, Mm -hmm. I wasn't able to read the entire thing. I'm not going to read the entire thing to anybody here. So, (laughs) but but the general idea is, so if these existing theories don't explain the low death penalty rate for women in the United States, how do we explain it? Well, he Mm. says that the existing theories overlook gender oppression. And so, again, I didn't uh, read the whole book, but what I gather from this, um, and uh, I need to read the whole thing to to verify that this is what he means. Um, But what I I think he means is that for non-white, non-hetero women, what will actually get a woman the death penalty is if her crime challenges the established societal rules of male dominance and male interests, which is control of resources, control of wealth, that sort of thing um, in the United States. And so for women, these types of crimes are less common. So the death penalty is applied less often. Uh, So uh, for Donetta Hill, uh, since she killed men, maybe that's what initially got her um, the death penalty. Yeah, she's stepping out. Yep. She's getting wow. uppity. Wow. Yep. I don't have yep. a bomb sound effect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you just dropped one. Right. <laughs> <got> several. <laughs> well, instead, I'll just do the hip hop air horn. Wow. Yeah. Those are really. Yeah. Um, uh, really interesting. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Thank There's, you for. Um, yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. Sharing that with yeah. Us. I, th- I think you would really enjoy this book. Um, there's lots of stats. Um, <laughs> Ooh, so, yeah. Uh, so I think you would enjoy that. So that's oh, also nice. part of the shout out as well. I'm shouting out this book. Oh, perfect. Thank <laughs> you. Okay. Uh, so now we're going to get into where are they now? I'll tell you. Uh, so during her appeals, there were, uh, which were, there were several, Hill claimed that the prosecutor committed misconduct and she cited six instances where the prosecutor cross-examined her and presented rebuttal evidence concerning the fact that she was on welfare, her cocaine use during pregnancy, her prior sentences of imprisonment, her probation violation, the fact that 
wanted cards had been issued for her and her use of profanity during questioning by police. The court concluded that the allegations of misconduct were baseless, and most of the instances were actually brought up by Hill or her attorney. And this is why you should not have your client on the stand. Mm -hmm. (laughs) As for the profanity, she actually used a lot of profanity while she was on the stand, which the court referred to as, quote, unrestrained use of foul language during direct and cross-examination, unquote. Hmm. And in her appeals, uh, Hill also alleged ineffective assistance of counsel. She alleged that her attorney did not conduct an investigation into her mental health or into the detectives who allegedly abused her, that her attorney did not investigate uh, Detective Augustine, and whether he had threatened or mistreated suspects or witnesses before. Well, I just I just got to say that speaks to the um, fault in the uh, justice system in and of itself. Yeah. Um, the DAs and the detectives are all working together. Right. And um, defense attorneys are also included at, as in the nuts and bolts of that system. Yeah. And so um, if the goal is to close a case, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know yeah. if there's much incentive, especially what given what we know about the Philadelphia district attorneys Ugh. and um, yeah. their um, police departments. Um, it makes sense that um, maybe her public defender didn't do his due diligence. Yeah, I wouldn't um, be and, surprised. Yeah, yeah, and mm-hmm. he probably he, he may not have had the resources or maybe the desire. I, I don't know actually which. read in one article that he was pretty green. He didn't really mm. know exactly what he was doing. Okay. Yeah, he might have just flubbed it. Yeah. Well, uh, as Hill described it, homicide detective Thomas Augustine handcuffed her to a chair and verbally abused her with racist and sexist invective. Invective? Is that just words? Yeah, bad stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, bad stuff. For, For hours until she agreed to confess. She also alleged that her attorney had medical records showing that she suffered from serious mental and psychological problems, but that he never interviewed her family members about her mental health and intellectual limitations, and that he did not have her mental health evaluated. All of these claims were rejected until 2012, when the prosecution withdrew capital status and she was resentenced to life without parole on March 21st, 2012. But in 2014, a string of sexist, racist, and pornographic emails found on government computers from email accounts belonging to dozens of influential Pennsylvania state officials and employees were made public. Hmm. Yeah, this is pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. This scandal, they began referring to it as, quote, porn gate. I like that. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) And a bunch of state employees lost their jobs, including a state Supreme Court justice. And this is a big rabbit hole that we aren't going to fully get into, but we'll link to some of the articles that we read about it in our footnotes. And uh, one source referred to it as a, quote, circular firing squad, unquote. Is is that the opposite of a circle jerk? (laughs) I was thinking the exact same thing. Not nearly as much fun. (laughs) Yeah, it's the less fun version of that. (laughs) Yes. yes. (laughs) Or maybe that's what happens after. Afterwards. (laughs) Uh, I'm terrible. (laughs) I really 
really got to get a bomb sound effect after, the, after this conversation. You really do. I'm surprised you don't have one already. I know. I could get all one. the other ones. Yeah. <laughs> well, in any case, um, in 2016, Hill's attorneys filed another appeal um, based on her claim that detectives coerced her confession by subjecting her to racist and sexist taunts. And U.S. District Judge Gerald A. McHugh granted Hill a hearing. Oh, okay. Well, uh, Judge McHugh noted that two of the Supreme Court justices who rejected that argument in 2011, C. Miss McCaffrey and J. Michael Eakin, were exchanging pornographic, sexist, and racially insensitive emails while Hill's case was before the court. That's nuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they clearly, I mean, uh, I mean, I've got such mixed feelings. Well, I'm, so, I'm, 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 I'm like, I'm oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, clearly she did this, you know, but at the same time, you know, the, she was never going to be considered as a human being. Yeah. Even, right. I mean, you know, she did something terrible. That It's terrible what she did. And, and those mm-hmm. uh, and, and her poor victims, like, just keep thinking about these poor, frail um, little guys, you know, who right. are completely unsuspecting of this. But at mm-hmm. the same time, you know, she's being judged by people who have absolutely zero respect for women. And of course, their uh, consideration of the case is going to be colored by that, you know? Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, zero consideration for doing their jobs um, yes. Zero uh, consideration proper. for being completely impartial. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I included their names in the script because I think they should be noted. Shame, shame, shame. <laughs> McCaffrey. And, shame. Yeah, shame. And, and J. Shame. Michael Eakin. Yeah. Shame. Mm-hmm. Pornographic, yeah. sexist, and racially insensitive emails. Yes. yes. All Thank of the you. bads. Yes. Thank you, Beth. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. That was actually Minnie. We do oh, sound really? like. Oh, yeah. Minnie? Yep. Oh, my God. So <laughs> I, was thinking, I was reading through the script because. We, we sound a lot the same. It's hard to tell the difference. Except for she has a <laughs> Canadian accent now. It comes out every now and again. I do notice that. Yeah. But I was going to I was gonna say, I, I, I have a short list of um, favorite white ladies. And Beth is on it, and now I'm going to add you. Oh, yay! <laughs> Thanks. I made the short list. <laughs> Wait a minute, are you calling me short? No. She is pretty short. Oh, I, really? I, I am. Yeah, I'm five foot two. Shorter than Beth? I'm shorter two than Beth. Yeah, shorter than me. She's and I'm pretty oh, short. Wow. Yeah, she's my taller older sister. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Oh, it, that's, oh, that's so cute. <laughs> you really are mini. <laughs> yeah, am. <laughs> I'm the mini Beth. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> so back to the story. Uh, so McHugh wrote a footnote to his opinion, and this was the case that he ruled on. What he said was the fact that two Pennsylvania Supreme Court justices recreationally viewed on state computers and on state time, numerous depictions of graphic sexual violence with captions degrading African Americans and endorsing abuse of women is cause for grave concern 
given Hill's background and its potential relevance to her claims for relief. And he's right. Mm -hmm. And McHugh also noted that studies suggest that mentally disabled defendants are more likely to give false confessions and that Augustine, who is now retired, has come under scrutiny in recent years amid repeated allegations that he coerced or forged confessions and witness testimony in other cases. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm. Hill, McHugh wrote, is an admitted thief, addict, and prostitute. He said prostitute. We don't use that word here for loops, but he said it. Uh, She has, however, persistently denied that she is also a murderer. There's sufficient cause for concern that she should at least be given the opportunity to be heard. And Hill is currently being housed in the Muncie State Correctional Institution in Pennsylvania. So now we're going to get into our takeaways and what we believe made Donetta Hill snap. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule, history so interesting, it's criminal. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. So what do you got, Minnie? What do you think? Well, uh, to take a quote from Wendy, doing <laughs> drugs. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know if that was exactly why she did what she did. Um, I'm going to she- 
Well, okay. <laughs> well, she clearly had some kind of brain chemistry issues, um, and probably um, she she had some kind of uh, impairment. And he, the oh, the one thing when I look at her picture, she has this same crazy look that our brother or Beth 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 and my brother gets on his mm-hmm. face when he is just displaying his true crazy self. Um, oh, yeah, kind of scary. Oh. Uh, it's uh, just looking in her eyes; it just felt very familiar and very scary. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, and that was the look that he would have when he would just get super angry about something ridiculous um, oh, and just really? snap. Yeah. So, oh. um, yeah. So I think uh, possibly she just snapped on, I'm, I'm going to attempt to uh, pronounce his name, uh, Nya uh, Kui Lu. Uh, I'm Ooh. hoping that's correct. Um, you know, good. I that sounds pretty good. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> um, that the NG um, that his name begins with. Um, I was actually reading uh, somewhere that um, in some languages that's actually pronounced Wu, which you would not think. That's, yeah, that's oh. not yeah. So apparently, the character <laughs> that produces that um, sound in in English is a character that in other languages is pronounced Wu. So, but anyway, um, but it's like, uh, yeah, you're welcome. So I think it's kind of a glottal stop. So it's like a, you know, but Uh yeah. Kui Lu. Yeah, that yeah. sounds good. So, linguist yeah. in the house. <laughs> but feel free to correct me, anyone who knows better, because you know when you know better, you do better. Right. Um, That's right. So I would love to Amen. hear uh, a correct pronunciation of his his name. Um, that poor guy. Um, I, you know, maybe he did shortchange her. I don't know. So or or whatever. Mm. But you know, something happened, or maybe she was going through drug withdrawal, and she just suddenly thought this is not going to be enough money. Um, she needed a fix. Uh, she f- she decided she was shortchanged, um, made some sort of uh, reason in her mind, and then whatever her trigger was, she just snapped. And then in a rage, she grabbed whatever the closest weapon was. He was down in the basement, and so it mm. was a claw hammer. And so she went to town on him. Um, mm. But then I find it interesting that she used the exact same type of weapon on Nairobi Dupont, another little frail guy um, who actually he was also he had. A an impairment. Uh, mm-hmm. So he was probably not terribly smart. Um, mm-hmm. And so again, you know, he, he may have not offered her enough money or what she thought was enough money. I mean, I don't know what how much that kind of thing goes for. Maybe he didn't either. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But or and, and, and I think, you know, or maybe this felt familiar, like here's this frail guy, here's this exact same kind of weapon, and she had gotten a taste for it. And she wanted to live relive the experience. Um, and who yeah. knows how many more she might have done in that way um, if she hadn't been caught. Um, or maybe there were some that she killed and were never connected to her because these uh, these men were also kind of marginalized people. So right, yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, and I was attracted to the story because I was looking for a POC version of Eileen Warnos. I I knew there had to be somebody out there mm-hmm. uh, like Eileen Warnos uh, who wasn't white. And uh, Warno started killing, I think, because she was angry at the way that men had treated her all of her life. And mm-hmm. like Hill, 
she also had a had drug and mental health issues and she was a sex worker Mm -hmm. and i believe that her first killing was like minnie described she uh, went into a rage and then uh, she discovered that she kind of liked it and she continued and i think that donetta hill probably had similar motivations and we were talking about the hammer um, how she used the hammer both times and and wondering like uh, why she used the hammer, where the hammer came from, like did she have it with her? Did she keep it in her little red pocketbook? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think she um, just grabbed a hammer from both because both times it was described that the scene um, when they found the body, they also found a hammer. So I believe oh, she yeah, was, was just grabbing a hammer um, and it just happened to be there. Yeah, because yeah. mm. I mean. Well, well, and you know, the, lots of people have hammers. That yes, is that's true. true. But I got to tell you, every time I need a hammer, I cannot find one. True. Yeah. <laughs> I keep mine in a very specific spot. Oh, it makes, it makes no sense, but like I know that. where it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's a little spot on the floor of the closet, and I just know that it's there. And I and so I always put it there. It makes no sense. Oh. Don't don't no. don't take my hammer and kill me with it though. Now that you know where it is. <laughs> now you're gonna have to put it in a different place. No. Yeah, to hide well, it now. You don't have to worry about me because remember you're on my favorite white oh, lady. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> but I uh, agree with you both. I don't. I definitely don't think the drugs help. Yeah. Drugs. But she um <laughs> she got away with it once, and I also think that you know when you when you kind of get away with something once and it's something really bad, you know. Why not take another swing at yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Unintended. Uh-huh. I see what you did there. <laughs> um, I thought it was odd that um, she never brought up self-defense or um, trying to defend herself from rape like Eileen Warnos did. Right. Um, but she was also convicted. And when she was convicted and the sentence was handed down to her, she acted out yeah. like just like Eileen Warnos did. Yeah, screaming like, and Screaming and obscenities. And stuff, I don't yeah. know if Eileen spat at anybody on the jury? I believe she did. Uh, not at, at the jury, but I, I think she did spit sometimes. <laughs> she oh. did a little spitting. <laughs> yeah, but it's still interesting. She got, I, I've never heard of this case, no media coverage, nope. and there's no movie about her yet. No. Yeah, um, not a one. Not yet, but if Hollywood, if you're listening. And she may have tried to bring up self-defense, but there was so little information about this case on the internet that uh, we probably probably did not get the whole story. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was difficult to find information on it. And yeah. I think I think in a way she might have thought that she was giving self-defense when cuz in both cases I think she said that she had been shortchanged. Um and so oh. it was almost as if well they committed a crime against me first, you know. Oh. I I maybe in her the way in 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 the way her drug addled. Yeah, her drug addled right. thinking um that 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 explained it. That made sense to her. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that sounds okay. Well, yeah, that sounds um, right. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> um, I already talked about how weird it is to um be like Let's let's get down. Make sure there's a hammer in the room with some condoms and candles. But that's probably not what happened. But that's what I when I was reading the story. Like. <laughs> um, and then I was also, what's that? I say, hey baby, you got a hammer? Yeah, woo! I'm already excited. <laughs> um, so I was kind of disgusted how the. Uh, at trial, her um, her history of substance abuse and the fact that um, she was on welfare and Social Security, you know, that she misused it. 
and they weaponized it. Yeah, they used her. it against her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yep. um, I just thought that it was really unfair. Um, and at the time, this was so. This was in like the early '90s when the welfare queen thing yeah, was that's like exactly what I was part of the about. narrative. Yeah, and um, obviously she did these terrible things, and I feel really, really bad for the victims. But um, I just wonder if you know, would she have gotten the death penalty if she had gotten a, a really strong defense and, you know, this fuckery who wouldn't wouldn't have been allowed by the detectives and, and in the courtroom. Um, and given what was later revealed that about the Philadelphia DA's office and the police department, date, yeah. uh, I can't say for sure. So, yeah. Now we are going to get into how not to get murdered. So if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) I I have to say, I love it every time. Just every single time. You're getting it live. I know. I feel so, I feel so honored to be hearing that live. So this segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. So, Minnie, I was going to ask, do you want to read your inputs? Sure, sure. Um, Yeah, so I know this, I think, I'm pretty sure you guys have already um, talked about this one. But, I mean, basically make sex work legal. Um, Safer for both the workers and the clients. Um, If it were legal, um, she may not have been a person that uh, these uh, men would have gone to. So, this would not have happened to them uh, Mm -hmm. because they would have maybe been going to a controlled environment for this. Um, mm-hmm. And at the same time, you know, um, it's it's protection for the sex workers as well. They don't right. also have to take that risk of maybe the person that they are um, engaged uh, with happens to be uh, going through drug withdrawal and about to do something crazy either. Yeah, or a dangerous yeah. predator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, or a dangerous predator. Yeah, it allows for both the workers and the clients to do more vetting um, and creates a safe for environment where they can engage in this. People have been doing this since the beginning of time and they're not going to stop and no kind of law is going to make this stop. So what we need to do is we need to make it safer. Absolutely. There you go. Is sex work legal in Canada? It is not. No. Yeah. You guys are so much more advanced than we are. Yeah. I mean, we have uh, gay marriage throughout the country and uh, marijuana just became legal last year. Okay. Yeah. Reconsider my... Getting somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Getting <laughs> baby steps. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then another thought. Uh, hide your claw hammers. I'm thinking of <laughs> Hide your claw hammers. Hide your wife. <laughs> uh, or in other words, lock up your tools. So, yeah. you know, maybe um, that I'm, I'm thinking, you know, she saw a hammer. She made use of a hammer. Uh, mm-hmm. So maybe don't make those things. Uh, don't keep those things out. And if you think about it, you know, if you leave a hammer around and a little kid gets a hold of it, uh, oh, they can right. accidentally do terrible things with it. So something, anything that can be used as a weapon 
keep it uh, keep it, it away. Lock it up. Locked yeah. away. Stored. Don't yeah. Available to just anyone to grab and, and use against you. Um, mm-hmm. And then my third thought was, uh, and I I think you've talked about this in previous episodes as well, uh, is to destigmatize mental health care. Uh, maybe uh, Donetta would have sought help for her problems um, before it came to this. Maybe she wouldn't. Sure. I don't know. Um, but at least maybe these um, marginalized men may have gone to seek some sort of uh, help as well. And then maybe mm-hmm. they wouldn't have gotten into this situation as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, decriminalize substance abuse as well. So um, all of these things, I think, can lead to uh, people having help uh, before it gets to the point where they turn to drugs. And murder. And murder. (laughs) Drugs and murder. Yes. Yes. Fire ass tips. Thank you, Minnie. Yeah. What do you got, Beth? I would also like to make a plea for universal health care in the United States, which includes mental health care. It's Mm -hmm. hard enough to get people to seek out mental health care. Like many was saying, it's stigmatized. So Mm -hmm. uh, people have a hard enough time seeking it out. But uh, then the cost is also a huge barrier. So if you're you're not really inclined to seek it out and then it costs a lot. You're like, eh, fuck it. I won't, I won't do that. I'll do some drugs. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, even, even with insurance, it can be expensive. So mm-hmm. we need to do something about that. Well, I hear your plea and I'm on board. Uh, <laughs> thank you both. Um, so now we're going to get into some serial killer and true crime news. Extra, extra. Read all about it. What do you got, Beth? So this is a really crazy story. On uh, January 20th, Phoenix police went to the home of Raphael and Maribel Loera for a welfare check when an 11-year-old girl called and reported that she had been left alone for two days. And she was hungry and afraid. Uh-oh. The girl who said Maribel Loera struck her on multiple occasions with knotted extension cords and slammed her head into walls was taken into custody by the Arizona Department of Child Safety. But there were no other children there at the time. And after getting court authorization on January 28th, uh, DCS returned to the home to remove two other children and they were aged four and nine. Okay. Then about an hour after that, the Phoenix fire department went to the same home after getting reports of smoke and a man came to the door and said, everything was fine. It was just the fireplace, but uh, they could clearly see that the house was on fire. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, my. Oh, my. Okay. <laughs> so after they put the fire out, they uh, found human skeletal remains when they removed drywall from the attic. And no yeah, this turned oh. out to be a. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing because of Minnie's, <laughs> Minnie's reaction. Like, oh my what? God. Oh, my God. Yeah, this turned out to be a fourth child. It's oh. pretty, pretty sad. And uh, Rafael Loera later told police that their 11-year-old adopted daughter, Anna, became ill in July 2017, and then he waited several days before trying to seek medical attention. He said that she died on the way to the hospital and the death wasn't reported out of fear that their other adopted children 
would be taken away by the state. And he further claimed that his wife physically abused the kids and that he didn't report those crimes out of fear that she would hurt him. And uh, I don't know the whole story, but I think he's full of shit. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Go on. Holes in his story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I think he he probably was uh, abusing the kids as well. I, I don't doubt that the mother was too, but I believe he was too, and that he probably or they probably didn't take the girl to the hospital because they abused her and they didn't want to get in trouble. And so. how do you live with a child in your wall? Like what in the yeah. crap? That's wild. Oh, my God. Yeah. So Shani Swatson, a 19-year-old neighbor, said she'd never seen children at the home, nor had she ever seen the van in the driveway move positions or leave. She said, quote, I've walked down this street every day with my dog for two years and have never seen anyone. I haven't even seen their door open until today. Something is not right. We would have seen children if there were three or four of them. There's just no way. So obviously this family was keeping their kids inside. And that's always a good sign that they're being abused. Oh, yeah. Priscilla Marquez, a woman claiming to be the biological mother of the 11-year-old girl, 9-year-old boy. And she said that the remains belonged to her daughter, Charisma Marquez, who would be 13 years old if she were still alive. And that was the girl that they called Anna. Oh, my God. That is a crazy story. Oh, my God. I don't know how people, how do people sleep at night when they do things like this? I don't know how they do this. Not a clue. Yeah. I, oh my gosh. Well, I mean, if you see something, say something, right? Right? I mean, especially if children are involved. Holy moly. But, um, wow, Beth. I'm going to keep my eyes out on this story because, uh. I'd like to know more about it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Those poor kids. Um, All right. Well, thank you for the um, really depressing story. Thank you for making me so very sad. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's just move on. Yeah. Uh, Now we're going to shake it off. (laughs) (laughs) The shout out portion of our show where we shout out any content by people of color or about people of color or any true crime goodies. So I just wanted to say I have good news to report that my mom finally gave me her Netflix password. Yeah, and back on track. yeah living that striminal life, baby. <laughs> and since it's Oscar season, I wanted to see some films by uh, people of color or about people of color that were nominated because um, there was a lot of talk about how a lot of people were excluded from the big categories, but there's some really good documentaries um, about different people around the world. Um, The Edge of Democracy is about essentially um, the rise of the radical right in Brazil. And boy, oh boy, is it similar to where we are now. Um, So that's a really good watch. Um, uh, The Cave is a documentary about an underground hospital in the midst of saving lives as the Syrian civil war destroys the country. Um, It's horrifying. It's upsetting, but it's a really great documentary shot like basically on people's iPhones because, Oh um, wow. Camera crews getting, can't get in there. Um, And then um, those are both on Hulu. And then lastly, American factory is about a, company called Fiyu. They're a Chinese company. And after uh, the economy crashed in 2008, uh, all these auto uh, factories shut down. And this Chinese company was like, 
we're going to build a factory in Ohio. Oh, I and you heard about that. It's really, really good. And the Obamas are behind it. Uh-huh. I think they helped produce it. So, but you can imagine the problems, mm. you know, with starting a new company, um, having workers from China and America who don't mm. speak the same languages, have different cultures, yeah. and just how smoothly things go. Uh-huh. Kidding. Wait, it's the opposite. You, yeah, I was going to say you say that like you mean the opposite. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. You you feel me? Uh, so, but it it's it really really eye opening. Um, and I loved it. And you know, if the Obamas endorsed it, it's got to yeah, be good, yeah, right? Be good. So, yeah, yeah. Mm. I will get right on that. Mm-hmm. That one's on Netflix. Oh, cool. Uh, and hopefully Canadian Netflix. Yeah, they have different oh, shows. Yeah, we have different shows. Yeah, but we'll yeah, see. Hopefully. Yeah, we'll check and see if it's on there. They don't have Hulu okay. at all. No, we don't have Hulu. <gasps> Oh, Santa Maria. Oh, right? (laughs) Santa Maria, indeed. (laughs) Donde mia Santa? (laughs) Hey, I know. Bring me Hulu. Oh, Oh, that makes me so sad. (laughs) We need to bring Canada Hulu. But it's okay. I have maple syrup. Oh, right. And uh, And Justin Trudeau. Yeah, and gay marriage and legal cannabis. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I'll take it. So it's it's good. It's all good. Okay. Okay. She's gonna be all right, everybody. I will. I will. (laughs) So while while visiting Minnie and her husband, uh, we have been watching a YouTube food vlogger, and his name's Mark Weens. Uh, Mm -hmm. His dad's white, but his mom's Chinese. And although he's actually originally from Phoenix, he's lived all over the world, and he goes to different countries and tries different foods. And uh, he's just super happy and his joy is palpable and infectious. He's uh, really fun to watch. And uh, the places he visits and the foods he tries are really interesting and fun. He has a few YouTube channels and I'll link up his main one. But you can also just Google Mark Ween's YouTube and you'll you'll find it. So I just wanted to shout him out because it's just a really fun show. Sounds like it. Yeah, it's a a really um, refreshing way to forget about uh, sadness in life. He's just he's so fun to, to watch him. Um, his reactions to when when he eats, um, and and he'll try anything. He doesn't uh-huh. care. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I just picture you guys like in your onesies and um, <laughs> with, with moose on them, yeah, snuggling yeah, up yeah. with wine, maple, watching you. Yeah. Maple leaves mm-hmm. and moose. Yep. On, on, yeah. on the pajamas. Or yes. The, one, yeah. the onesies. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not, that's yeah, not that far off from the yeah, truth. That's really not. <laughs> I'm wearing my pajamas right now. <laughs> well, I'm so sad. That's the end of the show. I but know. Uh, where can the people find us best? Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod. And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App, or you can become a monthly patron through our did I say patron? <laughs> so I figured out, I think, why Beth says um, patron. 
instead of why and i think it's because of the word patronize is the word patronize you know is is uh, i think it's a word that she's used more frequently than patron in the past than pay yeah Yeah. then there's two different words patronize and patronize um and so yeah so i think that's where that came from probably wait a minute They mean two different things. Yes. Uh, so, if you patronize um, something, that means you're um, you're you're buying something from them. You know, mm-hmm. or, or you're frequenting, or, yeah, you're a, frequent, a shop you're, you're or something yeah, like giving that. them your custom, as the old world people might say. Um, oh. And patronize means being condescending towards somebody. So, yeah. Wow, you guys are so smart. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're we're just nerds. <laughs> okay, so uh let me uh go back. Or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. We also have merch on our website now at fruitloopspod.com forward slash merch. Uh, before we go, we would like to just thank Minnie again for joining us. This yeah. was really, really fun. A dope it was ass episode. super fun. It, the pleasure was all <laughs> mine, believe me. <laughs> and who knows? I, come again sometime no, next time you're to. in Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, I would love to. Um, so this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, guys. It's crazy out there. detective came and knocked on the door and I said is it Renee and he just gave me that solemn look it was the worst day ever the proof podcast is back with a new case and a new season 23 years ago 18 year old Renee Ramos went missing her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town I don't think that they arrested the right people it's about time somebody's trying to do something she had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof, wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? Three AM, the comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're gonna get. You're gonna hear stories about demonic possessions, prison stabbings, skinwalkers, glitches in the Matrix, cult leaders, missing four one one, night marchers, Operation Paperclip, Mesopotamian devil worship, and so many monsters it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. Pop and meme culture also aren't off topic. 
a camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3AM, the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go. Let's go.